Welcome to this special edition episode of the NSCA Coaching Podcast. Uh, I think to be an inclusive leader, I think you uh, you know you hear it often when people say you have to meet them where they are, um, but then bring them to where you want to go. This is the NSCA's Coaching Podcast, where we talk to strength and conditioning coaches about what you really need to know, but probably didn't learn in school. There's strength and conditioning, and then there's everything else. Welcome to the NSCA Coaching Podcast. I'm Eric McMahon. Today, we're joined by Matt Frakes, Brian Dew, and John Jost. Matt is the Director of Sports Nutrition at the University of Notre Dame and works directly with the football team. Matt, you guys are in season right now. Thanks for yes, making sir. the time to come on. Appreciate you, my man. Go Irish. Brian, you're a longtime NBA strength and conditioning coach, 14 seasons with the Boston Celtics, and now you're working for a company that you founded, Optimal Fitness, based out of the Boston area. You bring a lot of different experiences into the conversation today. It's great to have you with us. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Uh, love, to, love to bring some experience to this conversation. And this being a special Gatorade Performance Partner collaboration episode of the NSCA Coaching Podcast. Let's welcome back 27-year veteran college strength and conditioning coach and today's co-host, John Jost, who is the team sports manager for Gatorade. Coach Jost, you just got back from a little uh, Colorado vacation. How'd that go? Uh, it was fantastic. Love that state. Uh, it's great to get away and, and do some hiking and biking and uh, recharge in nature. And it is a pleasure to be on with you and with uh, Brian and Matt. So... I'm um, really looking forward to this. Great. So today we're going to talk about leadership and specifically the role that leaders have in creating an inclusive environment for everyone they're working with. To get the conversation going, I want to give you both, Matt and Brian, a chance to speak to what being an inclusive leader means to you. Matt, why don't you kick this thing off? Yeah, for, for me, being an inclusive leader is the ability to manage my team in respect to the diversity uh, that the community portrays and the ability to manage that team and execute based upon all the different needs that my team has based on their background as well. So uh, that is my simple definition of it. It's a lot more complex than that. But um, and we'll get more into it with this podcast episode. But for me, that's what that is. Awesome. Brian, what do you think? Uh, I think to be an inclusive leader, I think, you, uh, you know, you hear it often when people say you have to meet them where they are, um, but then bring them to where you want to go. Um, you know, as a leader, um, I think my vision is what needs to be seen. Um, you know, the, the responsibility of making the decisions and so forth, but also um, making sure that. I see where they're coming from to help them guide them and see if they can, they actually can get to that vision um, and maybe using some of their experience and to change the way we get to the vision. I think, you know, as well as um, being an inclusive leader for the staff, but it's also for the, for the uh, athletes you work with um, same thing, I believe going, seeing where they are and then going, bring them up. Coach Jost, I've, I've heard you say that inclusive means everybody. So, you know, when you think about leadership, how important is inclusivity to the leadership process? I believe it's absolutely critical. And I guess there are really, in my mind, two parts of it. One is being inclusive of uh, 
a, a lot of, including a lot of different uh, backgrounds and people with different points of views uh, into the leadership process. And by that, I mean, being a great listener. Uh, I always felt like it's extremely important to surround myself with uh, a diverse group of people that I uh, really trust and value and give them a voice and listen to uh, their point of view and their, and give them input. And at the end of the day, you know, it's the leader's responsibility to ultimately, you know, make the final decision, whatever, you know, whatever the, the uh, is being considered, whatever needs, uh, whatever, whatever, you know, Brian talked about vision, whether that's a vision or whether that's one specific decision that has to be made um, to a particular situation, but surrounding yourself with a gr diverse group of people and listening to them. I, I don't know how you can have an impact on a large group of people and be a great leader without those two things. Especially when you think about, you know, so many people think of leadership as a leading in one direction. But the reality is, you know, if you take a look at Matt's position at Notre Dame, I mean, he's leading a group of student athletes. He's leading his staff as in the direction that, that they need to go as a department. And he's also leading the administration in that he's developing a program and growing the, the sports nutrition program in Notre Dame. So there are so many facets to that leadership and when you factor all of that in, you better surround yourself with a, with, uh, a lot of uh, diversity. You better include a lot of people and their voices in that decision if you really want to be uh, impactful. And, um, you know, I, 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 I would love to uh, pull it over to, to Matt a little bit and just ask him, uh, you know, when you lay it out like that and you look at, you know, your student athletes, your staff and your administration, um, I'd really be interested to hear the, you know, the different factors that, that you are uh, considering and, and how you are, um, what specific ways you're implementing uh, inclusivity uh, to your staff and your leadership style at Notre Dame. Oh, man. That's a phenomenal question. Um, so to be honest, so first part is with me being in this newly appointed position and as far as when it comes to the department standpoint. So with my staff, the department um, and the program in itself, um, it's taken into consideration one, learning my staff. Um, I had to retain one individual um, from the turnover as well. So understanding as far as the background and history of what's been already laid out, um, and then also um, understanding as far as the type of student athletes that we work with um, and the type of people I work with too. So for the department standpoint, it's been, okay, looking at the overarching view of, okay, what are we dealing with? Who are we dealing with? What are their characters? What are their personalities? And I'm very personable. So I love having conversations and talking more than just on nutrition in itself. So a lot of my conversations as well with me first getting here 
um, in May and almost in the middle of kicking off of football um, is trying to learn, okay, my head coach, uh, my admin here, the director of ops, everyone in those in my staff and the coaching staff and also with uh, my associate director and the Olympic sports side with the admin I report to as well, trying to figure out, okay, who working with them and also meeting with them to talk more than on what am I able to do? They know what I'm capable of. They know my background um, and they want to know more of what I'm able to do. So le learning them on a personal level. So taking that consideration. And then when it comes to the student athletes, almost doing the same thing. I'm a new face. They're not going to listen to anything I say unless they know who I am, um, unless they understand where I'm coming from. So at first it was more so again, trying to understand them and learn who they are. And this is a, a completely different background than what I'm used to as well, especially from what I grew up around and also from what I was exposed to as a student athlete. It's um, as far as their academic is very rigorous here, as far as also just um, you have a larger, almost melting pot, if you will, of individuals, but the type of student athlete that our coach brings in is very driven type A, um, and it's somewhat different than what I've been exposed to the other institutions I've been at compared to University of Mississippi or Louisville or University of Louisiana. So I had to take in consideration as far as, okay, who was the personality or the style of individual that the coach brings in, the personality and style of individual of the staff that he brings in as well and the admin brings in and just trying to figure out how can I best and adapt myself the best served them. That really uh, makes me think a lot about years on the professional side. I know, Brian, uh, you can speak to that quite a bit. You know, how have you adapted your coaching styles to different viewpoints, backgrounds, and the goals of the players you worked with for so many years? Yeah, it's interesting, like, hearing what Matt has to say, and the, the, it reminds me of why I'm not in college sports. <laughs> <laughs> the... Uh, the, you know, the, it's, it was much easier for me, I believe, in pro sports because the number of people that I have to deal with is so few compared to a football team. Um, but the, I think one of the harder things is the amount of money that each athlete's worth is uh, puts a little more stress and uh, gives them a little more power than they should probably have. Um, but yeah, I think one of the, the, the major differences or things that I think in uh, pro sports is, like you said, you have to deal with the administration. For us, it has to deal with the coach. Um, and if the coach doesn't value what you do, then you're dead no matter what you try. Um, but the, the most important thing in the whole thing, and this is where I think I got me in a little trouble in the beginning when I was younger, um, was I knew if I didn't get the players buy-in, then it didn't even matter if I had the coaches. Coach and I were on the same page. So I tended to be a player guy at first and, you know, but making sure the coach understood, look, I have to, I have to get buy-in from the players. I have to get their trust. If they don't trust me, if they don't do it, we can't get anything done. You know, if I get to Miami and, you know, we want to do a yoga session before they go out that night. Well, if I don't have that trust, there's no way we're doing it. Or if I need to get some conditioning in New York city before, before the nightlife starts. Uh, that trust has, has been really a major, major, major thing. Um, and their backgrounds, you know, coming from different family types, you know, um, no father, no mother, uh, raised by their grandparents, or um, coming from a coach that was a dad that was a coach that played pro sports. You know, it's figuring out which each person, which makes them tick, 
And uh, I think really trying to understand that and taking the time to really focus on, you know, how does that person respond to criticism? How does that person, how does that person um, see their goal on the team? You know, where's their value? Um, and try to meet them there. You know, I think a great story um, was, it, it was different. You know, when you have players that get drafted there, they kind of, they're stuck with you. You know, but when we get, when we trade for KG, um, you know, he, he, he's already been a league all-star. He's already been a, you know, uh, an MVP of the league. So it's, it was different. You know, he has his routines. He had his, he had his, uh, his things that he did the way he liked to do things. And so the first couple of weeks, I'm like, you know, I'm feeling pretty good about like, oh yeah, this is great. We got Kim Pernan. I'm going to be able to change his body, you know, and I'm a big film guy. So I like to watch film and see how they move. I'm a big moving pattern guy. And so, you know, he comes in we talk, I'm like, Kev, you know, what do you do? He tells me what he does. We start going. I'm like, okay, cool. We're going to do this. He's like, nah, man, you didn't hear me. This is what I do. And I said, yeah, yeah, I got you. I got you. This is what you do. I got you. But, you know, we're going to add this, you know, I, I look, here's the film. Here's the background of what he goes. Hey man, like slow down, man. This, this is, this is how I do things. I do things this way. I don't know who you are, what you think you're doing. I'm a league MVP. <laughs> Let's let, let me do my thing. I said, okay, cool, cool, cool. I hear you. I hear you. So anyway, so, you know, week goes by, I'm like, all right, next week I got him. We same conversation. All right. Finally I said, all right, he's not changing. <laughs> he is stubborn as a mule. So I got to get my job done. So what I did was I changed the warm-up. I moved, started doing all the movement patterns that he needed and that all the guys could use during the warm-up. Okay. So then the conversation became, all right, Kev, look, you're, you're we're getting stuff in. The issue here is I always see that you might, I feel like you're at risk. And I got to tell you, you're at risk. You know, this is my job. I know you're doing your job, doing my job. And the, the biggest thing that happened for our relationship was he actually got hurt and on his, he pulled an ab muscle, which I had told him the week before I thought was a weakness of his. So luckily that happened, which stunk for two weeks. But next thing I know, I'm on a plane with him. We're going to the all-star game. We're doing all the workouts there. He's like, all right, you're coming with you here. Like now he's got the trust. He trusted that I believed in him. I let him do his things. I was professional enough to keep telling him that I needed to do what he needed to get done. And then seeing the application. So I think, you know, again, finding where you need to find and just getting, gaining that trust. That's awesome. That's a, that's, that, that's a great illustration of, uh, of gaining that trust and, uh, and meeting them where they are and, uh, and then being ultimately able to have an impact. And, you, you know, I think both Brian and Matt, you touched upon, you know, the meeting them, each individual where they are and, and figuring out what makes in each individual tick. And all, obviously all those individuals add up to a team. And one thing that we have heard over and over in sports is, is uh, culture is king. And somehow, some way you need to take all those individuals and help develop a championship culture, right? That's, uh, whether it's right or wrong, it is as a, as a practitioner, as a, as a strength and conditioning coach, as a uh, sports dietitian, you're, you're part of helping develop and build that championship culture, right? And so it leads me to my question of, you know, for both uh, Matt and Brian, you know, what are some of the ways that you've helped, you know, take an extremely diverse group of people? You know, as Brian said, whether they're uh, 
um, raised by their mother, raised by their father, their, their grandparents, um, their, their background in, in both situations. Definitely at Notre Dame, you have people that are literally from uh, all over the world. So how do you take that diverse group of individuals and help them come together to align towards a collective goal? Man, so yeah. I'll throw it out, Matt. I'm always yeah. putting you on the spot. I'm gonna go with you. <laughs> yeah, bomb, bombs, <laughs> throwing bombs. I, go, Matt. Man, I, honestly, I don't throw any softballs got, to you guys. Look, man, look, Come on. I got, I got, I got three prime examples. So I've already started with this year. So, um, and I, I'm gonna illustrate like Brian did, just a tad bit. So one of them was so we have four players currently right now that are Samoan of Polynesian descent. So. Uh, one thing we have with them that I wanted to do was highlight as far as their food and their culture, because with, within our field, we stigmatize and demonize a lot of foods that don't need to be in that situation at all whatsoever. And plus, to be honest with you, before we were even had a had a career or anything like that, it's been people that's been performing phenomenally on hot dogs and beer. So <laughs> so with that being said. So with, with these individuals, one thing that we did was they had one cuisine that um, they wanted to highlight and show was uh, musubi, I believe, which is a dish that had rice, seaweed, spam, somewhat like a sushi type ordeal. Me growing up, when I seen spam, I couldn't even afford spam. So we had treat. And when we had that, we put that on grilled cheese sandwiches and that was all we could do. So it was a new way. And now I feel cheated because if I had musubi, my parents probably we were gonna have it a lot better way. Um, but it was, it was actually, it was good. And that's, and that's one of those distinct ways of people to stop, you know, when it comes to looking at a particular food and saying how it's made or what it is, they thrive off of that. And it's a treat for them. Um, and it's a food and it's a quality food and substance for them that that's part of their culture. So we got, so we kind of got to stop being in that situation and stop doing that of, 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 of demonizing or stigmatizing particular food. Another one is as far as when it comes to training table. Um, so our training table is essentially basically that that's that meal for our team that we have that's essentially um, that's provided uh, for after practice or whatever it may be. Um, and one of the things I try to look at when we have our menus with our chef is go over, okay, from everybody that I've spoken with from the assessments I've done with everyone before I got here, just got a taste preference, um, what type of foods they like, all that stuff. And putting that consideration when building out the menus and, and seeing as far as, okay, do we need to have a particular night as far as that highlights on the buffet line, some type of foods based upon everyone's different background and rotating that. So giving them what they need, giving them as far as to in respect of the different cultures as well. So everyone can experience that. And then another thing was having like for post game, asking them if we're going to a separate location or like Chicago or things like that, asking my players from Chicago, what is a good meal? What is the solid, what's the best place out there that I can get for you guys after the game? Because it's all about the timing as far as when you give these particular foods too. And you can argue as much as you want all right, and those are inflammatory foods, yada, 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 this, that, and the third, whatever. They're going to perform well. They're going to recover well as long as you balance everything you're doing and they're buying in from the day-to-day -day outside of your visual standpoint and they're bought into the education that you're doing and they're doing those practices away from you. 
So that's what matters most. But you got to stop. You got to throw in sometimes in respect to their culture and their background, those type of foods. So for me, as far as to we touch on that and the coaching staff touches that, too. And they got to see that visually. They see a diverse coaching staff as well. I'm probably only one of two as far as black male dietitians that holds a director spot in the entire country. So they visually see that. And they visually see as far as their defensive coordinator being a black male too, one to head there. So it's so it's just like as far as them visually seeing around them the diversity and not just discussing or having the conversations about it, but they have to see it too. And for us, we actually try to do that. We try to make an effort to make sure everyone is having some to, some sort of respect to what they have to bring to the table in our respective fields, rather that's in the recovery and rehab, or rather that's for me, it's food and culture because it's very personal and it's very personal. So adding that into the table and adding that into the menu in some shape or form. I think to me, the culture that I was um, most in, most in, it was most important to me was accountability, holding these guys accountable. And, you know, people say, oh yeah, accountability, that's common, but it's not, it's not common in the NBA. It's not common in pro sports. Um, you know, there's a lot of people before that I just hear stories about of like, all right, for instance, there was a player back in the day that wasn't on our team and he comes to our team after getting traded and is like, he's like, Hey, can I get the same deal I had at my last place? And I was like, what deal is that? He said, well, I give him a, I give him a lot of money, like a lot of uh, credit towards one of the, like one of the sponsors and I get my lifts in um, just twice a week. <laughs> and I, this is like way back. And it's like, Really? And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, no, we're not doing that. They go, because I care about you. He's like, no, no, I can do this. This is good. I get my list. And it's like, so, you know, in theory, it sounds good that everyone wants to learn accountable, but to do it is, is 100% hard, difficult. This is just difficult, difficult. And, you know, the one thing that we did um, was, you know, if you're late, you're riding five miles. And then there's a video of, um, that, of the players talking about what we, how the program was at some point. And everyone comes back to you. What was the hardest thing to do? Five mile ride, five mile ride, five mile ride. Everyone, was, that's, everyone wants to complain about because, you know, as, as sprinters and athletes, you know, they just want to just get, get done with it. So um, just a simple thing of like, you know, I showed up one late one time, put my bike right on the court while they're practicing, rode my five miles. You know, it's just like in there with them, doing, doing that and knowing that. But also creating the lightheartedness of, like you said, like that I care, right? And so hard day comes in, everyone's like nobody wants to do anything, but you know what? It didn't matter. I already planned breakfast club. Let's go. We're all getting breakfast. Forget the lift. We got breakfast. Let's talk about this. What's going on in your life? What's going on in your life? You know, what's going on in your life? You know, hit the right times and and try to do that. And then even stupid things like music, right? Creating the culture of music. You know, it's one guy always wants to dominate the radio. Now you see that probably one group of guys want to always. dominate that radio, right? So you got to mix it up, right? And this is, I don't know if you can say this, but it's like we had White Boy Wednesdays, right? And so that was the day we got to listen to the pop music. We got to listen to the country, whatever that is. And and so, you know, just stupid stuff like that. Guys came like, oh, come on, man. Is it Wednesday? You know, it's like, you know, it's, it, they know what day it is. And, uh so you know, accountability, but, you know, and then um, trying to kind of get to where they are again and uh, making it lighthearted. So that's the culture that I used to try to create and wanted to make sure they knew that I, that I, that I had their back and I was with them. And, but we're also going to work hard, but we're going to have fun doing it. I want to jump back to the beginning a little bit for 
for you guys. And Matt, you spoke a little bit to this just uh, in maybe how unique your role is for someone with a diverse background. Uh, And, you know, early in your career, did you have any leaders that you looked up to that were from diverse backgrounds or unique backgrounds? And how do you think that impacted your career goals and trajectory? Well, I'll be honest with you, in my field, no. I had to rely on myself as far as that people that that look like me don't have my role at all whatsoever. Um, So it was a lot of me having to, and it was great because it it was a lot of me learning how to adapt from other individuals from different backgrounds. And that was my first taste of having to do so because there was no one that I could look to or towards from complications or questions that I had, from frustrations or situations that I had personally. Um, And that's because that's just not within our field as far as like we have a non-diverse, honestly, as sports dietitians, I think majority of them are predominantly white females. So um, with that being said, especially in my classes or most of my professors, I've had one male, Dr. Dr., uh, Joe, rest his soul, but he was one of the persons that I looked up to the majority of time at my time at Bowling Green as a student athlete uh, going throughout this field. So uh, with that being said, as far as in diverse, it was more so of me being exposed to different people in, in different ways and different backgrounds and what I'm not used to. But as far as for me looking up to, was a lot of stuff I had to learn on my own and learn from other individuals from other, from other um, settings. So from strength conditioning or from athletic training, that may be that may look like me or come from the similar background that I came from that I had to look to, and that was also allowed me to uh, be able to have that unison or be able to work with individuals as far as outside of my particular profession, had that communication because that's the only people that I could go towards and work with and work towards because they're the only people that I could relate to, or and and it was and it was a good thing because of the simple fact of it brought also my particular situation in my field that they might not have been exposed to and complications are are learning from so um but as far as answer your question as far as leaders in in mine no uh but in others there there was there was a ton there was a ton so and a prime example is dr pat ivy there back in louisville when i was in louisville at the time bouncing off of him with just that short time of being there and seeing him rise in the ranks as well. Um, and looking at that and just seeing other admins or seeing other uh, strength conditioning coaches or other coaches as well um, that have similar backgrounds to me that I could look to see what they're doing on social media or shoot a quick DM or shoot a quick text or shoot a quick phone call towards and see what I could get an outside perspective on how to handle particular thing or how to continue in my pathway it's really good advice looking outside of just your direct area in the field and you know looking for guidance and support and i think um there's definitely a voice of that in the field right now of you know even even as far as business skills and other things that we we look to and try to incorporate those ideas into our coaching practices but in terms of mentorship and leadership and um just having uh people to look up to there there's a lot there's a lot of value to looking outside uh 
Brian, you know, how are we doing on the strength and conditioning side? What are you, what's your thoughts on this? Yeah. You know, you know, and it's, it's kind of silly, but I, I never even noticed that. I never realized like, I don't know if anyone knows, but like I'm, I'm, I'm Chinese and Hawaiian. Right. But if, if you talk to me, I would, you never know because I, I grew up in a predominantly Jewish town. Um, and so I gotta be honest. I never thought that I was diverse. I didn't think about it. I never thought of anything. I thought of myself as a strong educated man that was going to join the field, the ranks of conditioning and strength, you know, like, and, and so I think, I think more so getting into the NBA and seeing that made me realize, wow, there is a lot of, there is a lot of change and struggle and hearing the stories from the, you know, all the other great strength coaches in the NBA, hearing the, all the different issues and all the different things they went through to get there. Like I named, you know, Robert Hack, who, you know, I used to talk to him when he was in Dallas and, you know, he'd just tell me about, you know, like he, he's like, man, I struggled for years just trying to even get a job. And, you know, and I was way qual more qualified than half the people. And, you know, it's just like, yeah, it's like, you, you don't, I just didn't realize that and I never felt that. Uh, and so I guess I'm lucky that way. I didn't have to go through that, but I just listening to the stories in the NBA and hearing all the other guys and what they went through makes me appreciate that. And that's why I, when I would interview for, you know, assistants and, uh, you know, what interns, it's like, okay, just tell me what you're going through. Tell me what's going on. All right, let's, let's try to find a way to get it. Like the, one of the interns I hired, he's like, had no background in this. And I said, you know what, you have the most caring heart and you have the most intensely, uh, you have the most intense, um, desire to learn. I can use you. You know, I can, I give you that chance. No one else give me that chance. I'll give you that chance, you know? And, and so I think, I think it's helped me to kind of be a better leader that way myself. Um, not again, starting with those, but then recognizing and learning that that is out there. But uh, I think, you know, I do think one thing that uh, <clears throat> the diversity thing is, is that uh, in the NBA, when you're five foot six <laughs> and you're looking at these <laughs> seven guys and they're like, what can you teach me? You know, um, you know, the big, the big thing is, is that uh, I would always do this, do the stuff with them and show them that I'm not as athletic as any of them, you know, and then, you know, I think Rondo would put on record, he would put on record that he would only do his agility uh, work with me because I was the only one that could keep with him. And uh, so that's, that's hey, what Brian? I had my hat on. Yes, sir. Okay, yes, sir. <laughs> There's a good story out there. You can ask if you talk to Paul Pierce or Gary Payton about uh, somebody losing a lot of money for me dunking a tennis ball. So uh find that story <laughs> Brian <laughs> that's awesome coach Joe you want to jump in on this one yeah you know it's really interesting listening to uh to both Brian and Matt and I would say that <clears throat> I'm very similar uh I'm very similar in that uh when I think back to uh to my who I learned from and my my mentors and and uh, through my career, um, you know, un unfortunately, I, I can't say that I've had uh, a ton of uh, a, a lot of diversity um, as far as my personal leaders or mentors. Um, but they, when I from from Coach Osborne at uh, University of Nebraska to Coach Bowden at Florida State. I'm a huge John Wooden fan. And all three of them have a lot in common. And that is they're very, uh, have unbelievable amount of integrity. 
um, have very strong faith, and the way that they treat others is with an incredible amount of kindness and respect. And I remember, you know, if you read any of John Wooden's stuff that comes out, um, I highly recommend to, um, to those who are listening, if you haven't read any of his stuff, um, it's timeless principles that he teaches. And uh, from Coach Osborne to Coach Bowden, I, I can remember <clears throat> with Coach Bowden, you know, showing up at uh, 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning with, and Coach Bowden and I would pull in the parking lot at the same time. And uh, he would hold the door open for the custodian who was coming off the night shift, exiting the building and stand there and talk to him for five to 10 minutes. And that's the way he treated everybody, whether you were the quarterback's coach, the starting quarterback, or a professor that happens to, to be uh, on campus walking to, towards class, a, another student, the custodian coming off the night shift. And um, there's, there's a, an, a, an incredible lesson to be learned from that. And that is, um, it's all about relationships. Life is really about relationships. And it doesn't matter um, what, background or someone else has, you can have, you can learn an awful lot from them and you can, you, they can enrich your life and you can enrich their life. And uh, I think that that's something that just kind of through, um, through observation and just others modeling me that I've learned and I really, really try to uh, to do. And um, I think is, is something that, uh, again, is, is, is super important. And um, yeah, so uh, I, I, it, it, uh, I, I wish that I had uh, um, more, more diversity uh, as, a, as a young person um, growing in the field, but it was awesome to see that here are these, you know, again, specifically two older white gentlemen that uh, really treated everybody with respect and it didn't matter what their background was. And that was uh, a great lesson for me. One thing that really jumps out and go back to something Matt said earlier was, you know, diversity provides us perspective on what we're doing, you know, and, and, and if our only perspective is coming out of the essentials text or coming out of, a uh, just our own views and thoughts then we're very it's a it's a siloed thought process another thing you know from you coach Jost, treating people well regardless of their role in the program or their status within the program whether it's the custodian or the um or the gm it doesn't it doesn't make a difference uh treating people well that will fare you well as a professional as a human being uh is forever and 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 something i speak to a lot you know and i think we've all had this probably at different stages in our career is our profession and i specifically the strength and conditioning profession you know we could do a lot better job of being more welcoming to you know we say young coaches but i see it as future leaders in the field and you know we we've always put a pretty high bar up of the standards they need to come in the door with or they need to 
hit the ground running and treat, you know, act the right way. Well, we might need to teach them that we might need to model that for them. And that when we talk being inclusive, a lot of that is our modeling of certain behaviors and coach Joe's, you really touched on that for me. Um, so this brings us to a theme that we get to a lot on this podcast. You know, there's always this catalyst for coaches that, Hey, why did I get into this profession? Uh, a lot of times it's a, it could be a person that inspires you. It could be an experience. You know, a lot of coaches have an injury or a setback. You know, these are really great stories because they, uh, they show that as a field, we typically have a lot more similarities than differences. And sometimes we focus a little too much on those differences on the way in. You know, I think it's really encouraging for young coaches listening to hear, you know, they are part of a coaching community. They're part of a performance community. And uh, I want to, Brian, we'll start with you. I think we've been going to Matt first most of the time. Um, What inspired you to get into uh, into strength and conditioning? And uh, just tell us your story. Yeah, to be honest, um, I've I've told this a bunch of times, but I fell into strength conditioning. I didn't desire strength conditioning. I didn't, I wasn't in my mind born to do strength conditioning in my mind. um, Because I was, I was, every test that I took was, uh, I need to be in business. Um, Every test that I, every offer that I got was like, hey, go to college. I'll give you, I, 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 you know, I had a, I actually had a job offer before I started college for my cousin said, look, you go to Northeastern, do a five-year plan. I promise you $80,000 right out the gate. And to me growing up again, not much, um, you know, mid, but not, not much. Um, that was like, Oh my gosh, I, there's no way I should do anything but this. Um, but, uh, a friend of mine who we became, we were, uh, who I went to church with, um, had always had a plan for me and in, in his mind. And so to me, I was a, I was a middle kid that just looked for, just looked for somebody to buy interest in me. And so, uh, he said to me, he goes, Hey, why are you even considering all these other colleges? You're going to school with me. I said, really? He said, yeah. It's like, okay. So I, I dropped all these business schools that I got into and I went to a school called Messiah college. And, um, and he, you know, he, uh, we roomed together the first year, he's a year older than me. And he said, you know, um, you should do this. And, you know, the same thing happened. The, the wrestling coach said, God told me that you need to wrestle here. <laughs> I was like, okay. You know, it's like these kind of things. And I was very easily influenced because I just wanted something to, to buy into me and, um, believe in me. And, um, and so, but the funny part of the story is that, so he, um, after we room together, we realized we cannot room together. <laughs> we, we decided that we can't room together because we ate, like started like hating each other. And because uh, he was like, you got to study, you got to get to this, you stay up wee hours in the morning, you're just hanging out. You, I'm like, but I'm getting my work done. Like I'm getting A's, like who cares? And it's like, you know, he, he wanted a certain specific thing. So, <clears throat> but uh, anyways, it, it comes back to that I'm at the school and this college professor says, hey, you know, you should do this. Uh, you should, you should, uh, you should consider doing some, some of the, uh, exercise science stuff. And I was like, well, I'm going to be, a, I think I'm going to be a teacher now. Cause I was in the business. I had a business minor, but it's like, I, I just didn't know where I was going. And so he was like, you know, I think you should do this. He's like, you'd be really good at this. His first year of program is going to do it. So you should, you should consider doing it. So, um, I said, all right. So I, I so I changed over. Uh, I went to athletic training and then I realized I couldn't play sports anymore. So I got out of athletic training, went to, you know, exercise physiology. And so uh, I did that. And then, um, and then, so I, I think what the, all this stuff leads back to is that I was, I actually now believe I was born to do this. Okay. 
Um, I look back at my diverse things that I've gone through. So for instance, um, I got recruited for soccer in high school. Um, and I, you know, so I got some financial aid to play soccer, but when I got there, the football coach is like, now nah, you're playing football and I would play at Severian brothers. So actually, you know, I was there when Matt Hasselbeck was there and a couple of guys. So it's like, you know, we were a real football program. So I was like, I'm playing football. So I played football and then I, I wrestled there and then I played baseball my first two years. And I, I dropped baseball and I was the captain of the volleyball team for two years. And I played middle hitter at five foot six, you know, that people tell me I can't do things. And, um, but also just all these different sports. So I finished that. I got to college. I picked up lacrosse in college was an all-star lacrosse at, you know, and at the college level, I ended up doing really well. Um, after college, I ended up playing ultimate Frisbee because I was training a kid that was playing ultimate Frisbee. I made the U S team. Then I went playing for the U S like representing in Hawaii And all. I'm just saying this not to make myself and raise my ego. What I'm saying is that, I ended up doing all these things so I can understand every athlete that I work with. So I was born to do this because when I work with my athletes or I find any person, my biggest thing is like, hey, I believe in you. I, I had no direction. I want to lead you. So when people say, oh, your best times must be in the NBA. And I was like, no, some of my best times were my college athletes, were these kids that were like, hey, my parents make me do this, you know, and so forth. I was like, well, you know what? This is what I think you should do. This is how you have the conversation, right? This is the kind of things you do. And so <clears throat> getting me, the, what led me into this were the people that believed in me, like Dr. Miller, who said, you know what? I'm seeing you, you're kind of running around, you're kind of doing all this stuff. This is what you need to do. You really should be involved in this. This is where your mind thinks. And, uh, or like you know, the coaches just saying, hey, you know what? Maybe you should do this sport or maybe you should do that. Um, and, and so it's kind of convoluted, this whole, the whole thing I just said, but I think to me, um, the, the thing that got me into this field was all the struggle that I had internally that somebody finally said to me, you can do this in, in this field. You can help people. You can use your experience. You can use your knowledge in this field. And so I think that's how I got into it. Um, and, and again, it's not, it's not a direct answer. It's a, it's a fun-filled answer, but um, uh, the the field for me allows me to lead young men, young women, uh, and allows me to lead people that are well, worth way more than me. Um, but it allows me to do that because of my experience and my background. I don't know if that's the right answer, but that's, that's an awesome answer. <laughs> really good. Yeah, we, you know, we don't always know our path on the front end of this journey, yeah. you know, and that's something that, uh, you know, and Matt, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you the same question, but it just really made me think, you know, you had a multi-sport background and sort of discovered strength and conditioning along the way. And, uh, that's, I mean, it just, it just led you down this journey, you know, and, and people believed in you and that's powerful. And I think that speaks to maybe the last episode that we did with, um, with you coach Joe's on, on mentorship and the, the power of, just someone having someone in your life that believes in you, you know, and that, that challenges you really, you know? And so, um, Matt, jump in. What was your path? What's your story? Ours wasn't as exciting as Brian's. <laughs> <laughs> no, in all honesty. Um, so I honestly didn't even know if I was going to go to college because I'm the first one in my family to end up going to college and graduating as well. It says a lot because I got two older siblings and my sister passed before I was born. Um, so 
with that being said, when I eventually got into Ohio University, uh, tried to walk on it, didn't, didn't work out, got into a little bit of trouble, was a lot of, was a learning experience, um, and then had to just get a refresh. So I transferred to Bowling Green. Um, and then at that same time, that's when Coach Clawson gave me another chance as far as uh, for football. So was a walk on there. Um, and with that being said, I didn't know as far as with dietetics or with nutrition, I just figured that it said it had to deal with food and I saw diet in a word. And I literally was like, you know what? There's nothing else in college I'm interested in at all. I love food. I love eating. So I'm about to just run with this. And, 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 and uh, all jokes aside, like seriously. So I literally seen diet in the word and I said, I'm about to just run with this uh, because it looks like I got to deal with food. So I'm, I'm going to go this route. Um, and then with that being said, then Dr. Hamity and Dr. Pobochik and Dr. Joe at Bowling Green, um, they were they played a, a, a huge part in balancing athletics and academics as far as with everything I was doing and 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 trying engaging me into the route that I wanted to go toward. So because in our in our field, you have clinical, you have community, you have WIC, uh, women, infants and children, um, you have private practice and Sports was the only thing I loved and I was and, and it was my exit and my way of getting out my aggression and my father and my parents, they kept us in sports all year round in high school and and football was the only reason why I went to college. So and that was my route of saying, OK, and athletics and sports, I got to go something with this that has to deal with nutrition. So. Didn't even know as far as that you could be in this role as a sports dietitian um, because it was more so those main three was either community, clinical, WIC, um, and then for some was private practice. But then after I graduated, um, then I was working as a, an assistant as far as um, an assistant manager uh, for a gym uh, with my best friend's father. Um, our stepfather before he passed uh, and it was called urban active which was turned into la fitness so i went to that route a little bit then played indoor football uh uh in the ifl for a <laughs> for almost a season got in trouble there again and had to <laughs> so it was a lot of learning experience and then i uh, went to get my master's because of the simple fact of you can't do anything with the undergraduate just dietetics you can't do nothing at all with it so i uh, got my master's because my professors back at Bowling Green called me back and was like, man, you need to get your master's if you're actually going to get a, a job in this field um, and you got to do your dietetic internship. So then I went back, was a teaching, was a teacher's assistant, uh, was teaching a course there at the food lab there. Um, and then they really molded me as far as to how to educate. They molded me as far as uh, really learning as far as what you can do in athletics because the simple fact of um, they were showing me things like with GSSI at the time and uh, showing me things as far as the sports nutrition and, and those backgrounds there. Um, and then after I finally got done with everything and was done with my dietetic internship, then went into um, my own private practice, started my own private practice working and as a clinical dietitian at the same time at Mary Rutan Hospital, uh, while also training guys on the side, making their food, delivering it to them as well. Um, for professional athletes back at uh, 11 Athletics um, and then decided as far as to get my PhD because I don't know anybody with a PhD around me and I wanted to prove myself wrong 
So I was like, you know, I might just go for it. And there was that position opened up at Ole Miss at the time. And I met with Dr. Valiant. Um, we, we had a Zoom meeting. I, I loved everything that she was doing with that program. Um, and it was a chance for me to look at how the brain operates a little bit more and concussions and how nutrition can affect concussion recovery. Uh, so it was something new and something I just wanted to prove myself wrong again on uh, with graduating at that level and having that under my belt. So that's actually what kind of inspired me to go into this and then seeing as far as the direction, how to really dive into sports and then really sports nutrition, sports dietetics really started blossoming at that time. And that's when I really just dove myself into that field and, and dove myself into the, into these positions um, here as a director or as a sports dietitian for particular teams um, in the college setting. Um, and then leading now as a director here at this program. You know, it's super interesting. And I think a great, a great lesson for um, the, 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 the younger uh, practitioners and, and the individuals who are trying to find their way and, and figure out exactly what they want to do. You know, I, I, I've heard so many people share their story and their career path and how they got into it. And I don't, I can't recall anyone that has been, oh yeah, I'm, I graduate from high school and I know this is what I want to do and I get into it. And the next thing they know, you're um, a strength coach or a sports dietitian or whatever. It's just, that's not the way it works, right? I mean, it's a, it's a struggle. I think it's a, a has been a struggle for all of us to, 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 to figure out uh, what we want to be when we grow up, so to speak. And it continues to, uh, to evolve, right? I think we all do. And, uh, you know, specifically to, to Brian and myself, you know, we've both transitioned our careers from, you know, coaching elite athletes on a daily basis to working now more on the business side of things. So specifically for Brian, what, you know, what has the business sector taught you working with a diverse group of athletes that may be a little bit different than your experience from the NBA locker room? Yeah, you know, uh, I, I ran well, uh, Harvard Business School's Wolves program for a little bit, and I also run a couple bunch of corporate sites, and I'm running this, uh, you know, this really fancy uh space called uh, the Quinn house, which is a uh, social club, which I can't believe, but, um, but it's interesting. Um, I, I was so young and naive getting into the business sector, even before the MBA. But I think the biggest difference for me is I feel like I can influence the, uh, the MBA athletes uh, in a sense of teaching and knowing. Uh, whereas I think actually the opposite, I feel like I've been taught by the business sector, how to be professional, how to, how to raise my level. Um, you know, the, the funny, a funny, uh, again, another story, I like to tell stories. Um, the funny thing is, is like, for instance, in, in when I got to working with the uh, um, businessman, right, the guy was like, hey, I keep calling you, but I can't get a hold of you. And this is, I'm talking about like 98, 99, I'm 99 or whatever. And he's like, he's like, you know, your, your assistant's not picking up and this and that. And I was like, oh, he's like, look, I call this number. He calls it and on the side of my hips, my beeper. And he, and he goes, oh, I go, oh, that's my beeper. He goes, but you have a voicemail. And I says, well, it just says I can get back to you. Um, it's, but yeah, I don't have an office. I just have a beeper. And he's like, what? He's like, here, charge me an extra session each, each month. And I'm just going to pay just buy a cell phone. He's like, I need to get a hold of you. And I'm like, 
oh, okay, cool. I was like, this cool cell phone. I can, you know, was, this is whatever. I mean, they weren't, they weren't not around, but they were definitely not, I was definitely not owning one. <laughs> so, it, you know, something like that would be, you know, a lesson that I'm learning. Whereas on the opposite side, you know, um, Eric and I have discussed this, but there was a, you know, an athlete that was with a team that uh, was a, you know, young player coming out of high school. And, you know, we we're talking about, um, you know, he's like, man, I can't get all my stuff together. And this is, you know, the NBA is doing a much better job of preparing these guys. But, you know, he's like, I'm, I'm just trying to get, get my, get some cable in the house. I'm like, all right, well, I can, I can, uh, I can help you there. I was like, you know, we'll just call Verizon. He's like, just call Verizon. What do you mean? I'm like, all right. So I walked into the process. You know, you want to teach these guys. So I was like, all right, here it is. This guy's going to come over tomorrow. Okay. So I, you know, I always go over, follow through to make sure they know that I'm, I'm invested. So I get to his house, cable guy comes, put the TV on the wall. And he's like, that's it. He's like, yeah. He's like, wow, that was easy. I said, yeah, you know, you can do it next time. He's like, yeah. He's like, do I have to pay the guys? Like, nope. He bills you and everything. He's like, wow, this is all right. This is great. He's like, wow. He's like, man, that's such a big help. He's like, I got another problem. I was like, yeah. He's like, I don't, can you, can you help me with this problem? I said, well, what problem is that? He's like, okay, well, he lived in the two bedroom house. And his first thing was like, walking me back to the bedroom. I'm like, what's he going to do in the bedroom? I don't have no idea what's going on here. And so he, he opens his door and, he, and all of a sudden, all I see is just stacks and stacks of clothes and I was like what what is this and he's like well I don't know how to do laundry so I've been just going up to the mall and buying clothes every week and just restocking my clothes so I don't know what to do with this stuff and I was like oh man and you know normally I'd teach him how to do the wash but I just knew he would never do it so we just like I said we just got a we got a uh, laundry service to just kind of he just put in the bag take it fold it out and he's like man it's like, this is amazing. <laughs> so like you said, I, I like to educate and, and teach. So I think that's the, one of the big differences is that, you know, from coming from the, the professional world uh, in the business world, because that's really the world that I'm in, um, a lot of my business is in, is, uh, is they're educating me on things. And I think my, st Landard, my standard is high, but their standard is so much higher. And whereas in the NBA or even the NHL, some guys, it's just like, you think that they know this, but they really don't. And uh, I think that, I think that was the major difference is they, that I thought I knew, but I didn't. And they thought they knew and they didn't. And I think that's a big difference. Yeah, that's, it's really interesting. I, I, I would say that, you know, from my perspective, I've learned so much from both experiences uh, being the, you know, my time in college athletics and a completely different set of learnings in my time with uh, at Gatorade and, and in the corporate world, from a, I, I really feel that from a, uh, a diversity standpoint, where I learned the most was with in college athletics. And I've always felt that uh, a campus, a college campus is such a special place where, again, I, I said this before, there are literally people from all over the world and I had um, at my time at Florida State a, a great opportunity to to, um, uh, to take on some some administrative roles, and where I oversaw the men's and women's tennis. I spent a lot of time with, um, with with really all of the sports, and we had a great uh, group of international athletes from you know Denmark and Luxembourg and London and uh, Ethiopia. And I mean, it, it was, it was really, really cool to get to know all of these individuals and learn about their culture. And, um, 
it really gave, I feel like made me such a better person. And, um, you know, something that I, I still draw up on the day and, and uh, has helped me in my transition uh, in, in the position that I'm in now. And um, it, uh, it not, not to mention the, the time management, right? I mean, it, uh, Matt can, it can really relate to this. You just, in the middle of the season where you have uh, uh, so, so many things to do and people pulling you from so many different directions and you know that if uh, the bus leaves at two and you're there at uh, 155, you're late, right? I mean, so that that's, uh, you know, yeah. Um, but um, yeah, no question, uh, learnings from, uh, from both sides of it. And uh, I, I have uh, really value both experiences so much and feel so fortunate to uh, have experienced uh, both sides of it. John, that's a really great point about just the college environment and the, the college locker room. I've always felt, you know, coming from a college football, professional baseball background, I've always felt that the locker room is, is a pretty diverse place. You know, there and we're all working towards one goal here for the most part, and that brings people together. That's powerful, right there. And uh, we had Andrea Hayden. Um, she was with the Minnesota Twins. Now she's with Stanford Women's Basketball. She was on the podcast last year, and she spoke to that. You know, she was, you know, assistant major league strength coach with the Minnesota Twins, and just talking about how diverse the major league clubhouse is talking about players from latin america all over the world you know we occasionally get a player from europe or uh or japan or korea and 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 so sport in itself provides a lot to us in terms of what we're talking about diversity inclusion uh but on the career opportunity side of things maybe we don't always feel that way matt i want to start with you what do you think about you know opportunities in the field you know, and, and coaches getting in the door and uh, just the opportunities that are available. Honestly, I, I feel like there are currently right now in my field, there are more jobs, but less people almost qualified to take those jobs and be very successful in those jobs. Um, so, and, and, and it's not to say as far as it's, it's, it's not a knock on anything at all whatsoever from, but as far as for us to be adequately trained to succeed, there's some people that are taking director roles or taking leadership roles and are truly just now getting out or have never been exposed to being, having to be in a situation to be a leader yet. Um, so, and it's not truly putting that position or that person in that situation to truly succeed without the adequate support to really give them what they need to be trained and learn and adapt in that. So there are a lot of um, opportunities in the field today. There's, there's a lot of opportunities in the field today, um, truth be told. And there's always, and in, in there's a roller coaster, a wheelhouse that's always coming about, um, just even from the standpoint of what we're doing in, the, in CPSDA and the diversity, equity, inclusion standpoint, of giving scholarships for those that need it and everything as well. Um, but at the same time, like I said, there's a lot of opportunities. It's it's almost, it's not easy as far as to get into, into the door, but honestly, I feel like we also need to do better as far as what we are asking for and who needs to be in those roles and 
getting those people in those roles to succeed. So in the field today, I don't know how it was for Brian and John, as far as for, for you both, for you guys back then. Um, and then especially with right now, I feel like I'm very lucky in a, in a sense because of the simple fact of there's a lot more opportunity, a lot more jobs and the need as far as visually seeing who we need as far as as the practitioner for sports dietitians is there, is, is there. The dots are being connected now as far as like our value into these roles. And a lot of people and practitioners before me, um, Dave Ellis and um, uh, Roberta Anding and all those individuals that's been around for quite some time. And my, my old advisor um, from University of Mississippi, Dr. Melinda, Melinda Valiant, making the battles and fighting those battles to see what is needed and why their role exists and why they need to be in those at that table, have a seat at that table, the opportunities are there now. All their battles are now, they, they, they've, been, they've been done and now it has opened a lot of opportunities for us. Brian, would you agree with that? Uh, more opportunities today? So it's funny. Uh, I actually think uh, in, in, cause, because uh, Matt's field is finally getting the respect it deserves. Um, I thought there's a lot of strength coaches that did his work and it shouldn't have you know, like True. I was picking stuff and I said, you know what, let me lean on my nutritionist friend because I shouldn't be doing this. You know, I know my role. I know my field and I'm not good at this. You know, I don't have the science background that I need. I mean, I could do some of it, but not, not to the level that Matt could do it. Right. So I'm psyched for him and his field that, you know, whereas I think our field is actually getting pinched. And I think our field's getting pinched because you have sports scientists that now are strength coaches. You now have biomechanists that are now strength coaches. You have some created title of people that think that they can do what we do. And in, so I actually think it's a tougher, a tougher marketplace. I mean, there's definitely more opportunities and jobs, but I think the, I think the field's become such a diverse uh, area of um, professionals trying to do strength conditioning. You know, athletic trainers are all getting their certifications, which is great because they should. But I, so I think, you know, if you're just solely a sport, uh, if you're solely a strength coach, it's actually harder for you. Man, that's, that's a great point, Brian, because I only have my CSCS so that way I can understand what you're trying to say. <laughs> that's the only reason why I got it. Not to step outside, but that's still not my lane, but I literally only got it so that way I can truly understand when it comes to working with you exactly how you're going so I can also mimic the information uh, whenever they say or when I got to put them towards you and your role. That's why you're a professional. That's why you, you know, taking the time to understand where we're coming from so that you can now apply your field even more effectively. You know, that's why, you know, someday we'll cross and maybe we'll work together somewhere, but, yes, sir. you know, it'll be amazing. Yeah, it's interesting being in a position where I can kind of see both professions. I would, I would agree with both of you in that, uh, you know, I think there are a lot of opportunities for the growing field of uh, sports nutrition. And it is, it is awesome to see, as Brian said, the sports dietitians getting the respect that they deserve. And, uh, you know, when, when I, uh, I can remember, it wasn't very long ago where there were, when I got to Florida State in 2001, we did not have a sports dietitian. And uh, so um, that was one of my first responsibilities was to uh, develop the department and, and hire a sports dietitian. 
So it, that tells you right there how quickly the field has grown. And uh, again, I would agree with you, Brian, in that um, the the strength conditioning profession has has gotten gotten uh, very challenging um, as far as uh, there are, and unfortunately, there are some uh, that they they say they're a strength coach, but they don't have the experience or the expertise to uh, to back it up. Um, kind of pulling it back to um, uh, to the topic of hand of uh, the question for both for both Matt and Brian. Um, how do we take diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives forward in this in our professions? Brian, uh, can you lead us off with this one? Yeah, um, I think I think like doing podcasts like this, right? Just getting it out there, the information's out there. Um, just just giving perspective on it. Um, just you know, on record, you know, like there's all these offside conversations and stuff, but putting it out there like, hey, you know what, um, Matt and I have been through this where we try to relate to everything. We try to include, be inclusive, and it's important to do that. And it's something that's important to us. But I think it's also, I think it's the, it's the elephant in the room, right? It's the thing that everyone wants to kind of avoid, you know, and it's, it's uh, and so I think the more we talk about it, the elephant becomes smaller and smaller. And, you know, it just becomes an everyday topic that it's part of the thing that needs to be talked about. You know, every every conversation should have a part of that, part of the, you know, where the difference is. Um, how do you how do you connect that person over there? It's um, the, the, just the more people that have even heard the term inclusion or even thought about the term inclusion, if we can just get it into more people's brains, you know, I, I just think it'll then be part of the daily topic of, on, a, on a bus ride, on a, you know, on a, on a plane flight, on the airport, you know, I just think it's, it becomes that, it's almost like the hot topic, you know, it's like, if you make it, you can kind of put it out there and then it just, it's going to be part of everything. And it needs to be. Matt, any follow up on that? Yeah, I definitely can. And I agree with Brian hundred um, percent. It's, it's the, it's one of the things that we need to definitely uh, contribute to our work environment and where we are and with our teams that we work with, because it can't be seen as an elephant in the room. It has to be something that has to be seen as a standard that we address and that we ensure that we are fitting. Um, it's just a, a, just a normal thing that we are looking towards as far as that we have a part because we have a diverse team. So we need to have a diverse unit and diverse staff as well. And it's not about as far as hiring someone because they look a certain way or to come from a certain background. And that's what I don't want personally don't want it to be viewed as and seen as. It's just more so about ensuring that you have the ability to make your culture and your team of however you want, whoever the leader is in that position, that you build that unit to make sure it meets the needs of everyone that you bring into that unit. So, um, and into that team and into that family, because that's what, that's exactly what it is if you think about it. So, and it's very important. And for me, what we're doing as far as, again, I go back to CPSEA, diversity, equity, and inclusion, because that's in the sports dietetics field is what we're working towards um, and the work that we're doing and trying to not only have the message as far as being brought across to the table, but also what are the action steps that we're taking to ensure that it's being done and that it's just not being a checkbox or a check that or a box that you're just checking, you know? So that's, and that's one thing that we have to 
elaborate on because also doing this work allows people to finally step outside their comfort zone and see things and view things in a, in a situation or view things in a way that they have never been exposed to in their upbringing or in their background. And this is the way that we have to be, have that open-mindedness with. So it's very valuable and it's very important. So um, that's just my two cents, but yes. I think, I think that's a, a really, really good point. And, you know, something that we're, whether you are a sports dietitian or a strength conditioning coach, you're in the field of, of improving, right? Of getting better, of growing. And whether that is um, as an individual practitioner or helping your team and your athletes grow and improve in them, if we can help educate the importance of not only the importance, but the fact that by becoming more diverse and more inclusive, you're getting better, you're improving your staff, you're improving your team, and it actually it, it, it makes you stronger and it makes you better. Um, I, I, to me, that's something that is uh, something that is really important to, to, to know, to understand and to teach. Um, and um, to me, that's the next step is, is not just talking about it, but it's really a, a, an understanding and, and being able to help educate others that it's not only important, it, it, it makes you better. Yeah, inclusion is part of being a better leader. It's part of being a better teammate. It's important to have the conversations like we are right now. And that's something we are working to get better at here at the NSCA. Um, I feel like this is a conversation we could, we could probably go for a while here. Uh, but just to uh, be uh, respectful of everyone's time, um, if anyone has questions and they want to reach out, what's the best way to do that? Uh, so for me, uh, I'm on Instagram or Twitter um, and LinkedIn. Instagram and Twitter, they're all the same thing. Superior Frakes, S-U-P-E-R-I-O-R-F-R-A-K-E-S. Uh, LinkedIn is just my name as well. Um, in season, I'm very slow at getting back to people. Uh, and I do apologize if you have any questions about anything. Uh, but I, it doesn't take more than 24 to 48 hours. So <laughs> you could hold me to that. Or you just honestly... Uh, after we, you know, converse via direct message, I can give you my phone number and it's easier for me to text um, than it is as far as to be on, so to have on social media. So, because uh, I'm usually just doing a post by, post something and I just leave it alone. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> and uh, I'm at Bdo Strength, B-D-O-O Strength, S-T-R-E-N-G-A-T-H, uh, -E sorry. Uh, and then on Twitter, that's Instagram and Twitter, it's just bdo 22 um, and then LinkedIn as well. Um, I'm actually not on social media as much as I probably should be, but uh, trying to raise my kids. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but reach out either of those ways. And uh, yeah, you know, I, I had the same thing. I have a lot of uh, a lot of things going on. So, but I will uh, get back to you. How about you, Coach Jose? So I'm the I'm I'm the old one, old guy that uh, really is not on any social media. So. Uh, I don't know if email is old school, but uh, jonathan.jost at pepsico.com uh, is the best way to, way to reach me. Um, or you can go to uh, the email, the gatoradeperformancepartner.com and reference me. And uh, definitely uh, we'll uh, get back to you as soon as possible. So 
Um, forgive me for uh, not uh, jumping in the black hole of uh, Instagram and Twitter and the rest of the social media. No, you're trying to get out, man. Me too. You <laughs> saved yourself. Matt, Brian, John, uh, this was a good time. I, I realized we got to go back and maybe put something in uh, a link to what a beeper is in the show notes, just for <laughs> That's everybody. Sad. Uh, tune That's again. So tell me you're old without telling me you're old. <laughs> like, beeper? What is that? <laughs> no, but thank you guys for sharing, connecting with our listeners today. We'd also like to thank Gatorade Performance Partner for fueling this episode in continuing to support important conversations to advance the strength and conditioning profession. If you'd like to learn more and join the Gatorade Performance Partner community, visit GatoradePerformancePartner.com. Big thanks to everyone listening in today. Also to Soranex Exercise Equipment, a regular sponsor on the NSCA Coaching Podcast. We appreciate their support. From the NSCA, thank you for listening to the NSCA Coaching Podcast. We serve you, the coaching community, so follow, subscribe, and download for future episodes. We look forward to connecting with you again soon and hope you'll join us at an upcoming NSCA event or in one of our special interest groups. For more information, go to nsca.com. This was the NSCA's Coaching Podcast. The National Strength and Conditioning Association was founded in 1978 by strength and conditioning coaches to share information, resources, and help advance the profession. Serving coaches for over 40 years, the NSCA is the trusted source for strength and conditioning professionals. Be sure to join us next time.